here to do some work in our lives today. And uh, as we were worshiping the Lord, I was reminded of the story of Jairus. How many remember the story of Jairus? And uh, Jairus left his home with his daughter, deathly ill, to go and seek for Jesus to bring him to the house to heal his daughter. And I don't know, but I sense that there are people that are wrestling with things that their Jairus daughter may be something in their own body, maybe something in their own family, maybe something in their finances. It might be something that uh, it just seems insurmountable, unattainable. It, it's a mountain that just doesn't look like it's ever going to move. And what I sense and what the Spirit of the Lord said, he said that he wants to deal with the spirit of fear. Now, you know, this is supposed to be a joyous occasion. You know, this is supposed to be holidays. But yet how many realize the older you get, the more you realize that there is great apprehension and reticence and, and fear that comes during the holiday season. Fear of the future. Fear of the present. Amen? And, you know, as Jairus began to seek the Lord, you know, we're... we're the wonderful thing about being a new creation is that, yes, we still seek the Lord, but we know where he's at. Amen. You, you never stop seeking the Lord. Amen. But we know where he's at, so we know where to seek. We need to look deep within ourselves where the Holy Spirit resides and begin to tap into that strength and that power source that's on the inside of us. Jesus has been made unto us wisdom and power. Amen? Are you awake out there? God has not given you the spirit of fear or a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And I sense that there are people struggling in their mind today. They're struggling in their mind with their marriage. They're struggling in their mind with their finances. They're struggling in their mind with children that are out of the way that are out doing their own thing. You know, that's Jairus was seeking the Lord because of something that was going on in his house. And he found Jesus, and he bade him to come with him. And as they were on the road, of course, the woman who had the issue of blood, you know, interrupted that, you know, that process of getting to the solution. And she was miraculously healed. But by the time they got close to the house, the servants had already come to Jairus and said, Don't trouble the master any longer. Your daughter is dead. Now, what Jesus said to Jairus is what he's saying to you today. Because notice that Jesus did not disconnect from the words that Jairus spoke when he initially communicated with the Lord. And God is not disconnecting from your prayers and your confession of faith. 
And I know it might look bleak to some of you. It might look like nothing's happening. It might look like, you know, it's absolutely immovable, that it's not going to happen. It's been going on for years and years. But you continue to confess. You continue to speak the word. You continue to believe God. But there's a nagging fear that keeps rising up that it's not going to happen. Are you with me this morning? And Jesus looked at Jairus and looked in his eyes in a moment that would bring the most horrific feeling of losing your child. And he said, don't be afraid. Now, if he would have stopped right there, that would be most counsel that a pastor would give or some kind of minister would give. But he took it one step, one step further. He said, only believe. He said, don't be afraid, only believe. So that teaches us that belief and fear are contrary to one another. That faith and fear, although reciprocals and operate in the same principles, they work in opposite directions. I remember I was dealing with something in, in my life here this last week. And uh, I was, you know, I was wrestling with some fears. And the Lord told me, he said, fear is the psychology of death. Fear is the psychology of death. Let me say that. Fear is a mindset. It's a psychological condition. And when we yield ourselves to that condition, it begins to take away the one thing that gives us the victory that overcomes the world, which is our faith. And as we began to sing here today in the last song talked about the victorious graciousness of our Lord Jesus Christ and his greatness towards us and his acts towards us, that should bolster your faith. But I began to sense in my spirit that there was an overwhelming fear that was permeating within people's hearts and lives here this morning. And the greatest Christmas gift I can give you is to allow you to know that Jesus has taken care of fear. And that you do not need to walk afraid of anything. Why? Because Hebrews chapter 2, one of my favorite scriptures, the 14th verse. It says, since therefore the children... Share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing. Now notice that. It's talking about the incarnation, what we're celebrating in this season. God manifesting in human flesh. And the word became flesh, or the word was tabernacled in flesh. The incarnation of Jesus in the flesh is the basis by which death and hell have been conquered. And the psychology of fear was assassinated and rendered of its power to those who believe in the incarnation and identify 
with the work of Jesus Christ in their lives. Are you with me this morning? He says that through death, through his death, he might destroy. I love this word. It means to render inoperative. Oh, there's great words coming forth right now in 2024. You're going to hear words like, that tumor's inoperative. That tumor has been rendered inoperative. That cancer has been rendered inoperative. That heart failure has been rendered inoperative. Praise God, you're going to hear some things. But you've got to not be afraid, but only believe. Amen? Amen. It means to render inoperative, to abolish. That's that word destroy. To abolish. There's people that are fearful of living and dying alone in this house. God has not given you a spirit of fear. Amen. Some of you are wrestling with things in your body you don't understand right now. God has not given you a spirit of fear. Some of you are wondering what the future is going to hold. Some of you are afraid of what you're hearing in the news. Turn it off. Turn it off. People getting all upset about Hamas and things of that nature. Come on now. Study your Bible. People say, well, that's the Gog-Magog war. No, it's not. No, it's not. Oh, goodness gracious. There are preachers out there that are using this for money. Where you buy their books. And our CD series. How many, how many times have we heard when there's an attack on Israel that this is the Gog-Magog war? Every time. Every time. And guess what? Someone just bought a house. Come on now. We've got to understand that we can't be led Into fear by ministers. I am not an agent of fear. I'm an agent of faith. Amen. The only thing I promote is the fear of the Lord. Man, make you scared. Oh, you better get right, Israel. You know, it's going to all come down. And I understand we're on the end, last of the last days. You don't understand that. But there are people fearful here today. Hello, I've heard those wars over and over and over and over again, and that's going to happen. Jesus said that in Matthew 24. But the Gog-Magog war has more to do with Armageddon than it does anything before it. Gog is another name for the Antichrist. Oh, God. All right, I'm, 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 I'm attacking some mindsets here today. Amen. See, we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid of what the world's selling. We don't need to be afraid of what they're saying. 
They can be afraid because they're in the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Jesus said, when you see these things, look up for your redemption draws nigh. Don't look down and be sad and in despair and be fearful and crying. To totally abolish, to put out of use. Notice that. He came to destroy, you see, to put out of use. There's nothing the enemy uses more than fear. Fear of the unknown, fear that it isn't going to work out, fear of failure, fear of rejection. We're swimming in it. We're swimming in it every day. We don't realize it. There's not a day that goes by that you're not touched with fear. But I got good news for you. He says he might destroy, render useless, make invalid, Make inactive. Boy, that's powerful words. Did you know the enemy has been rendered invalid and inactive in the life of the believer? It's only when we yield to him. See, you have to understand the doctrine of Balaam. The doctrine of Balaam is is that you're so blessed. If the children of Israel were blessed in this way, then you're doubly blessed because your new creation's in Christ Jesus. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It was just imputed to them through Abraham. Come on now. But you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So that means that the doctrine of Balaam was this. I can't curse what God has blessed. So the enemy can't curse what God has blessed. So the doctrine of Balaam was this. Get them to operate contrary to the word of God. And the curse comes automatically on them. They curse themselves. That's what fear does. It gets you to curse yourself and open the door to the enemy. Come on now. And notice he says, to destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all. How many alls do I have here? And deliver all those who through fear of death. Fear of death. Were subject to lifelong slavery. See, that's the goal of fear. Is to enslave you. Do you feel enslaved this morning? Is it the fact that you're not able to spend the kind of money you want to on your children? Is that enslaving you? Are you enslaved by the fact that the financial climate isn't as stable as it once was? Are you fearful because your health, it doesn't seem like it's hitting on all cylinders right now? Are you fearful that your relationships just aren't where you want them to be right now? Or are you fearful that you have children and grandchildren that are out in the world And you wonder about their salvation and about their relationship with the Lord. We swim in this all the time. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. The Bible says perfect love casts out 
all fear. You don't have to have fear. You don't have to, you know, let fear begin to control and dominate and enslave your life. Oh, it'll do it. It'll come in with a symptom in your body, and all of a sudden your mind will go into a rush of information, seeing yourself infirm, seeing yourself in the hospital, seeing yourself dying, seeing yourself. Right now, he's speaking to people. The enemy is speaking to people. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. You're, you're, you're going to lose your job. You're going to do that. And all of a sudden, the rush of emotion and the adrenaline of that word plague that came into your mind and came into your life is beginning to cause fear to begin to rise up to where you see yourself living on the streets. You see yourself divorced. You see yourself estranged from your family. You see yourself going bankrupt. You see yourself closing that business. And I'm here to tell you the devil is a liar. I said the devil is a liar. I said the devil is a liar. Hallelujah. So right now, if you're dealing with fear in your life, now listen, it requires humility to say, you know what? I'm dealing with fears in my life. And I guarantee you, 100% of people are dealing with fear. So if five of you stand up, I'm going to know the rest of you are liars. Some of you are dealing with some things that are heavy on you right now and are bringing depression. The Lord wants to break that this morning. There's fear that you're not going to make it. There's fear that your dreams and the things God's given you is never going to come to pass. There's fear that... That relationship is never going to change. If that's you, if you've got something going on in your life where you're wrestling with fear, I'm not putting condemnation on you. I'm just telling you the truth. If you choose not to stand, that's totally fine. I'm not going to, we're not writing your name down. You either want the help or you don't, okay? But I'm telling you, God wants to break the power of fear off of your life right now in the name of Jesus, amen? Karen, could you come up here and we're going to pray over these wonderful people? Hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the word of the Lord. We thank you for the fact that you are the God that destroys the yoke of bondage. And we declare that fear is a yoke of bondage. And right now, by faith, we break the power of fear. Off of each and every life that is in this room right now in the name of Jesus. <coughs> fear of failure. Fear of sickness. Fear of death. Fear of rejection. You must go right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You've got to leave. We break your oppressive Vice upon the minds and hearts of these people right now, knowing that Jesus, hallelujah, Jesus has destroyed the power of death and has rendered inoperative and inactive 
the enemy of our souls, who through all the lifetime has subjected people in bondage to fear. We thank you, Father God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Can we lift our hands and give him praise? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Depression and discouragement and despair is trying to overtake my people, saith the Lord. For they do not know who they are and where they have come from, and they do not know where they're seated, saith God. But those that know my son, those that know their place in his body, shall arise to new heights of glory and victory, saith the Lord. As they begin to ascend their thoughts to the place where they're seated, instead of saying down in the base thinking that is of this world, but will elevate their thinking to my word and to my ways and yield to my spirit, they will begin to see victory, victory, victory in the midst of adversity, saith the Lord. They will begin to see a great string of victory in their life, one after the other. After the other. After the other. And there are those here that have stood for many years, saith the Lord. They have stood for their healing. They have stood for relationships that need to be restored. They have stood in the gap for their businesses to advance and prosper. Know this, that the wrestle is in the standing We wrestle with principalities in the standing, in the standing upon my word. And anyone who will choose to stand in my word in contrary circumstances shall see that I shall cause them to overcome in this life. Oh, many are saying, when God, when, how God, how, and why God, why. But don't ask those questions anymore, saith the Lord. Look to me and worship me and begin to exalt my son and you'll begin to see the answers come one by one. They shall come to you with wisdom and grace and will cause you to be able to go from that place to a new place, saith the Lord. You'll begin to see it. It'll begin to come to pass. Things that you've long desired will break through in advance. You shall see it, saith the Lord. For I have spoken it forth, and it shall come to pass. For my words do not fall to the ground. They do what I sent them to do, saith the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. 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 Hmm. Hallelujah. Mm. I just feel the the fear of loneliness right now. I'm going to come against that right now in Jesus' name. Fear of loneliness. There's people that have went through divorces, went through the loss of a spouse. 
And that, uh, that, that spirit of loneliness is just trying to come on them, just overtake them. It, it just, they just feel enslaved. They don't even want to live or get out of their house. I see one person right now in my spirit that they're so overwhelmed and burdened. It's only their children. It's only their children that is getting them motivated to get up in the day. It's only their children right now. I break that power right now in the name of Jesus. I break that power right now. Now, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I'm reading your mail right now. You're saying, well, I live for my children. Well, you shouldn't live for your children. You should live for the Lord. Hello. Live for the Lord and you'll be empowered to raise your children in grace. And it won't be as hard. Amen. Amen. Come on now. I see it. I see it. I see it. I see it right now. I see it. I see see someone wrestling right now with the fact that they're alone, that they don't have a significant other in their life. And they're constantly in pursuit of that. uh, But they've given up. They've given up. Totally. They've given up on the search. And they say, you know what? I'm just destined to be an old cat lady. I'm destined to be, you know, that, that old bachelor that goes around, you know, to the various, you know. Uh... <laughs> it's always at the breakfast place, you know, always in there, you know, by themselves in the booth. You see yourself as that. Come on. You see yourself as that. You don't feel loved. You feel rejected. It's not true. It's a lie. It's a lie. The devil's selling you a bill of goods. Amen. Holidays bring out loneliness. Bring out loneliness. Especially if you don't feel that you have a family to celebrate these holidays with. But I'm here to tell you, you've got a celebration. You've got a celebration in Christ Jesus. You've got a celebration by the Holy Spirit. You might be lonely, but you're never alone. Come on now. Hallelujah. I tell you what, I just sense it so strong. Jesus is breaking, breaking things right now. And Jesus, do you sense the Spirit of the Lord? Do you sense the Spirit of the Lord? He's here. Breaking it. Breaking it off of your life. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We break the power of fear. Off of people's lives right now. Fear of the future. Fear of their finances. Fear of relationships gone awry in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. There have been words that have been given to you, saith the Lord. There have been words that I gave you even this year. That have given you the solution and the answer for the thing that you seek. But yet you have allowed them to be released. And you have not taken them unto yourself. Capture them in your heart, saith the Lord. And hold on to them and hold fast. And you'll begin to see that I will bring it to pass. But you have to be deliberate. This is not a mistake. And this is not through circumstance. You've got to take a hold of it. For what I have said about your children will come to pass. For I have declared it. And it will not fall. What I have said about your business will come to pass. No matter what the adversity or no matter what the mountain that is before you right now. My 
ability is greater than anything that is opposing you. So look to the greater one on the inside of you and allow me to release myself into your life and begin to lay hold of eternal life. And you'll begin to see those things begin to break forth. For I've spoken to many of you about households and about new homes. But yet you have allowed the circumstances to dissuade you and to keep you from releasing your faith towards that. I have talked to you about new businesses that will bring advancement and be able, you'll be able to advance my kingdom through the profits of that business. But yet you have released it because it didn't work out the way that you thought it would work out. But know that when I declare something, that my word is as the rain that comes down from heaven. And it goes into the soil and it brings forth a harvest every time. It does not return to me void. There's many that I've talked to you about your physical health. I've spoken to you in the night season. I've spoken to you in the times in which you were crying out to me because the symptoms were so painful. And I spoke a word of peace over you and it assuaged the pain. Know this, that I have not changed my mind. That I have not repented about what I have said to you. For I mean what I say, saith the Lord. And my word is true. And it shall come to pass. Just watch and see. But you must hold on to what I have said. For the enemy is seeking to dislodge my word from you. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Can we lift our hands? Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God is good and greatly to be praised. Amen. Hallelujah. He sent his word and he healed you. He sent his word and he delivered you. He sent his word and he prospered you. He sent his word and he restored your relationships. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Is this Lake Church or not? Thought I was at some Presbyterian house. Come on now. We get excited about God. Amen. We get excited about what he's saying to us. Amen. Hallelujah. That's how you receive. You receive with joy. When you truly receive something, you'll have joy. How many truly receive something got some joy? Amen. Hallelujah. I'm glad about 10 of you did, but that's all right. Rest of you will catch up. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. You can be seated. Amen. Receive that. Understand that when the word of the Lord comes forth, that these things aren't just simply automatic and just happen. We've got to take a hold of them. It's just like the prophecy last week. It says, it's not about the seed, it's about the soil. See, the soil has to be cultivated. The soil has to continue to be maintained. The seed is perfect. 
What God has told you in his word is absolutely perfect. It will come to pass. But you've got to take care of the soil. You've got to make sure that that soil stays healthy so that you can begin to see that seed begin to grow. Amen? God has a harvest for you. Amen? And do not believe the naysayers. Don't believe those that are telling you that this next year is shot already. Because that's what they're saying. I remember they said that back in, uh, what was it, 20, 2010 or when, when Obama came in. I mean, my goodness gracious. They, they just said it was 2009, was it not? 2009. And it said 2009 is shot. Don't look at, they, this is what they said on the news. Don't look at your 401k in 2009. And they're saying the same things that they were saying back there. But I'm here to tell you. There was a time in Genesis chapter 26 that Isaac was fixing to go down to Egypt. He didn't know he was going to Egypt, but God did. So he was down in Gerar trying to escape a famine that was in the land. And God said, don't go to Egypt. Well, I'm not going to Egypt, Lord. See, God knows where you're going next. Don't go to that casino. Come on now. He says, but sow in the land that I gave you. And that's a word for right now. Sow in the land that God has put you in. It might seem like famine right now. But through the process, Isaac redug the wells. And you know what? We've got to learn to redig the wells in our lives. Amen? And it said he received a hundredfold return. In the land of famine. And I just know that that's going to be the case. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Karen, come up and join me. Praise the Lord. Do you have your microphone? Is that? All right. Well, we're going to talk about a little bit about marriage. Is that all right? Amen? Hallelujah. Come on up there, sweetie. All right. Amen. So I want to look at uh, Psalm 127. Let's look at that uh, as we open up. <clears throat> this morning. How many have enjoyed trained family? Amen. Well, it's been real and it's been raw. And uh, I don't know half the people that have been up here saying, saying that stuff that they've been saying. But no, I'm just kidding. Amen. Hallelujah. But uh, I believe it causes us to be encouraged knowing that people are going through similar situations that we're going through and that there's nothing new under the sun. Amen? There's absolutely nothing new under the sun. In Psalm 127, verse 1, it says, Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep or his beloved rest. And there's a way that the world builds. We, we, we shared with you the last time that we were together is that marriage is the building block of civilization in God's eyes. The building of his kingdom is made through the microcosm of marriage, the unification of one man 
and one woman and the creation of families. And that is where civilization comes forth. This was God's design. This is what God desired. And it is a building block that not only unveils to us what we see physically in this world, but it has solical ramifications and spiritual ramifications. Because the marriage between a husband and wife is is a type of our relationship with our Lord and Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if this doesn't work right, or if this is tainted and contaminated in any way, it not only contaminates the physical aspects of my life, but it will contaminate the spiritual aspects of my life. And uh, we've seen that in other relationships. The enemy immediately attacked marriage in the third chapter. He attacked by bringing disunity between Adam and Eve through lies and deception. And that's what we're going to talk about today is operating as a unified couple, which we have not been successful every time. And in fact, it, and, and sometimes we're very good at it, and some guy, some, most times we're very bad at it. But the Bible talks about if two of you shall agree, on earth as touching anything that they shall ask it shall be done by my father which is in heaven that's a powerful scripture how many have tapped into that scripture and seen that to be true well praise god three of of our wonderful people have done that that was made for marriage that was a scripture that was handmade for married relationships But how often do we try to pursue the plan of God or Mm -hmm. separately from one another and we don't come together and and pray and be unified? See, unification is how the kingdom of God works. Mm -hmm. That's the reason why churches don't work right unless there's unity. Mm -hmm. That's the reason why marriages don't work right unless there's unity. And unity is not uniformity, okay? It's not that I'm going to think the way she thinks and she's going to think the way that I think or that I'm going to try to transimpose my wills, desires and on her. It means that we come together and we find a point of agreement, which means two contrary opinions coming together, the two becoming one flesh. Amen. And when we become one flesh, then it gives the door for things to be released in our lives. And I know that there are many couples here that want to see release in their life. I sense that there's a family that Mm. has desired for a home for their children and and a home to be able to, and it's because of lack of unity that Mm. they're not seeing the fulfillment of that. One is on one page and the other is on the other page. Come together, be unified, get a singular plan. I also sense that there are people that are having trouble with their kids from other marriages. It's because you haven't come together and unified your response to that. Mm -hmm. See, you need to start answering the questions before they're asked. Mm -hmm. That's really preparation, is learning to prepare first before the situation arises. So when it comes to how children are supposed to respond to you or how your other children from another relationship or to respond. It needs to be written out. This is what we're going to do. This is the unified 
response that we're going to do. Come on now. And with finances, many of you are not seeing your finances flourish like you want to. Well, there's no unified vision. Boy, that went over real good. I didn't hear not one amen. But there, there, it's, there's not a unified vision for your finances. Therefore, there's no ability for it to begin to work for you. Your sex life, there's no unified vision. There's desire and lust on one end and, and, and on the other end, but there's no unification. Unity is vital for us to get a hold of. Mm-hmm. You know, when um, God, through his son, he brought a kingdom to earth. That was his goal. That was his, that was his plan was when, when he gave his son... He was sending his son. He was sending an envoy of his kingdom. Jesus is our king. And the reason why I bring up the kingdom is because we have to remind ourselves who we are. When we are well versed in who we are and and what God meant in the creation of the man and the woman in the beginning of time, we have our purpose restored to us because God did not start with a tribe. He did not start with a, a, a thousand soldier army. He started with one man. And one woman. And that is his definition of marriage. And it was his way. This was God's design on how he would manifest his kingdom from heaven to earth. That he would expand. Of course, we know that when God brought his kingdom through his son Jesus, he didn't come with tanks. He didn't come with guns and artillery and all this thing that we know of war. He came with a baby. He sent a baby. He sent his son, a child. For unto us a son is given. Unto us a child is born. And in that son, it went on to say in that Psalms, I believe it. No, no, Isaiah 9, 6. It goes on to say that the government will be on his shoulders. And of that government, there would be no end. The increase of that government, there would be no end. And so when Jesus came, he brought the kingdom of God. And and God demonstrated, demonstrated to us that he expected one man and one woman that from there he would advance his kingdom in all the earth. And he would bring that idea of marriage. This is how I want it to be. I want to, I want to advance my kingdom through the family. Because God's government is in three branches. The family, the church, and civil government. And through those three, in uh, whatever you call it, this is how he would expand his kingdom, advance his kingdom. And so the very structure, the foundational, of course, Jesus is the foundation. We just said that. But 
the husband and the wife relationship is the foundation of the family and therefore the foundation of all the kingdom of God is the husband and wife relationship. And so we need to get a clue. Now, this, this God is so wonderful in his plan that, that as he just shared the scripture, if any two will agree... That this can happen, this can happen in other relationships as well. But I believe it's even more powerful. See, we don't realize the power that a husband and wife have when they come together in agreement. Because what is happening is we are placing ourselves under the authority of Almighty God. His design, His plan. His purpose and not our own. Because when he said, remember, we have been well taught from Psalm 2. Let's go over there so that I can reference that. Psalm 2. Pastor Greg has taught us well. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. We know that this world system, the system of the beasts, they do not, uh, they do not recognize one man and one woman being marriage. They want to create their own definition of what it is. But we must stand and be examples to all the earth of what, what, what God meant, what God purposed in the earth when he wanted one man and one woman to come together in unity under his authority, under his government, under his kingdom. To be king, a kingdom marriage and to be the man and woman of God that would appropriate his kingdom and advance his kingdom in the earth. And so we have tremendous power available to us. And he says in verse 7, no, excuse me, verse 6, God says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And this is, this is extraordinary words that God is saying. Because he is letting us know, letting us know, letting the whole world know that this is my answer. This is my answer. This is my, this is my government. I have set, and that word actually set means to pour out. We've been talking about a lot to, today about releasing about pouring out, about the uh, rivers of water on the inside of us. And this is what God did for us in his son. He poured out his son, his son's life, and he became our king. He is our king, and he will always be our king. And then Jesus in verse 7, this is so powerful, that he says, I will tell of the decree." The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. This is so powerful because we need to be saying, we need to be saying and our lives should be saying to all creation that he is our Lord. 
He is our Lord, and we thank you, God, that we are your family, that we are your sons and daughters. But he has let us know that he has set his king. He has established his kingship. And in the end of that chapter, he tells us, warns all the kings and rulers of the earth to be wise and be warned to serve the Lord with reverence and kiss the son. Pay honor and homage to him, worship him, and give him his righteous, um, give him the glory that is due him. So basically, what, what she's sharing is so profound. If we're experiencing chaos in our homes and not truly able to exercise authority over the things that are happening in our households, it's because we are not under authority. And many times, you know, we, we understand that God has set an authority structure that is invisible. It can be seen when it's in place, but it's invisible. And culture wants to ignore and flatline all authority. They want everybody to be flatlined. But God's authority will not be mocked. He has set it into the earth. And what she's saying in in Psalm 2 is that God has already established the ultimate authority in Jesus Christ. That we all flow underneath that authority structure. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to the home, it means that the husband comes underneath the Lord in regards to his home. And his wife comes into a subordinate position underneath the husband. But how many realize that sometimes we have authority issues in the home? Nobody here has ever had any problem whatsoever (laughs) with authority issues in the home. Many times those authority issues stem from contention between a husband and wife because there's a authority breakdown between the man and the Lord. This is important for us to understand that many of the problems and issues that I have with my wife or that she may have with me may stem from the fact that there is an unsubmitted area in my life that is not properly put under the authority of Jesus. He's saying, I've set my king. This is, this is it. You know, she read the scripture where they're all conspiring to try to resist that, to try to flatline everybody, to resist the structures of God. But remember the Roman centurion who came to Jesus, who had a servant that was sick. And uh, Jesus said, you know, my servant is desperately ill. And Jesus said, I will go to him. And the Roman centurion said, no. He says, I'm not worthy for you to even come into my household. He said, but speak the word only. For I am a man under authority. And I also have those that are in under authority to me. And I say to this one, go and he goeth. And I say to the other, come and he cometh. Okay. What's he sharing with us? Why is that even in the scripture? That's how the kingdom of God works. If you're speaking to your business right now and you're saying, you know, business come. And it isn't coming. 
then we have to look at where the authority structure. Is there an authority issue? Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, know, man, this is, uh, this something, is really, really... Something that, wow. um, something that wow. I want to Don't share... Don't look at me that hateful. Um, a lot of times, um, the devil deceived me because I would, um, I would compare my strengths to your weaknesses. And uh, the devil works on us, on both the husband and the wife, to get us to think bad of the other. <laughs> and we need to be aware of what he is doing. Because, because if he gets us on that trail, he takes, takes, he's just bringing division. Hmm. That's exactly what he's taken from us is our unity because he understands the power we have when we're unified. We do not. We have not had a revelation of the power that we exhibit and have. And this is what God meant for us to have. This is how God meant for us to operate is together. However... God has took me on a journey. It's been a year's process. I want to say my whole life. That has brought me to a place teaching me that he, that I am not, that I am not less than Greg. You know, I am not, I am not beneath Greg. Now, now if you would have asked me years ago, if, if I thought that way, I would tell you, no, I don't think like that. You know, the Bible tells us that we are created equal. That, that you know, the, the dominion mandate was given to both the husband and the wife. Okay? So, so it does not mean when we have roles, God has set up roles for us to, 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 this is how we work, this is how we work best. This is how God has designed us. It does not mean that I, that I am less. You know, Jesus Christ himself he submitted himself to God the Father. He submitted himself. So being submitted is not a place of weakness. It is a place of strength. And if you do not learn how to submit and yield to man who you can see, well, you will never learn how to submit to God himself who, you know, this is how we learn is by submitting and loving one another. This is told of, of the whole church and as children of God. And so this is a, something that God has uh, taught me on a journey. Uh, I didn't know that I thought that, so, that way about myself. That was a surprise to me that I thought myself less than Greg. But sometimes we can put our, our spouses on pedestals. Sometimes we can do just the opposite and think we're better than our spouse. I have been guilty of doing that. And God had to bring me out of that. Deception. That's what pride is. Is deception. And, um, and I had great liberty. Realizing wh wh who I was. And what I was doing. Um, working with the devil. Working with the enemy. For, in self-destruction. Of our relationship. And so we have to be honest. We have to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will uphold us in due time. And he restores us and exalts us. He is the glory and the lifter of our head. 
Okay, so, so learning how to flow together. This is something that Pastor Greg and I are learning in this very moment. We're learning to flow together as one in every aspect. And I think one of the greatest things that we've learned, it, it seems recently, but I guess it's been a few years, um, is just when we disagree on a point that is so contentious that we're just rah, at each other, we have learned to drop it. Just drop it because he's got his, we're different. We're different. And it doesn't mean that one is right and one is wrong. It just means that we see life differently. And sometimes when we have those um, times where we know, okay, well, neither one of us is going to budge on this. Let's just shelve it. And because having peace, having unity is more important than one of us being right. Well, the Bible says, submit yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. And uh, that means that we have to operate in, in subordination. And uh, subordination is a very powerful attribute. The world does not um, value subordinates. They don't value right. coming under anybody. Everybody's number one. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. You know. And, and if you're not first, you're last, you know, uh, you know, so it's always this mindset. Well, that is contrary to the scripture because when we're insubordinate in one area, we're also insubordinate in every area. And majority of marriage issues that I see is the lack of insubordination of one's feelings towards one another. That they do not know how to use the fruit of the spirit, which is self-control, in regards to their emotions towards one another. And if you can't subordinate your own feelings, you know, towards your spouse, then you're going to have authority issues throughout your relationship. And it all boils down to, do you trust the Lord or not? Right. Yes. Did, yes. did, he, did he send this woman to you or not? Right. Do you believe, feel called together mm -hmm. or not because if you don't have that assurance you're going to continue to strive to buck the system right, right. well so many of us are mm -hmm. living you know the scripture says that we just act like mere human you know we're just acting like humans and being carnal and we forget who we are we judge each other after the flesh and not after the spirit we're not acting you know we're not being spiritual ourselves and judging each other in Christ as we're supposed to. And so we get hung up on things that don't even matter to a hill of beans. It's a distraction to get you off of what you should be on. And that is the dominion mandate to bring the kingdom of God into the earth through your family and through your household. Amen. And the enemy will oppose that and bring mm -hmm. opposition to seeing that, but it's basically selfish desire mm -hmm. that is one of the main problems in marriages today. People that want their own agenda and feel that they have the right to feel the way they feel. And this, this handicaps a lot of people and brings them into victimization. And victimization is something that is detrimental to your walk with God and to your faith life. 
Because if you feel you're a victim, you know, part of the problem is people won't fess up to their own mistakes. They won't say they're sorry. How many have ever said this? You know, my mom, she never says I'm sorry. She's sorry. Or my wife, she never says she's sorry. We hear that all the time. People walking around as victims, thinking that other people have power over their lives and over their decisions and over their emotions. But she just read right here. I have set my king. Oh, you didn't get that. I don't think you got that. It didn't say, I set your spouse over you or I set your yeah. boss over you. Or I set your neighbor over you. He says, I've set my king. So that means I've got to subordinate to him. I can't be subordinating to anyone other than him. Sometimes I subordinate to my emotions and I feel bad about my spouse or about other relationships in my life. And it just brings chaos and pain and hurt. Because I feel like I'm owed something. You owe me. I hear that a lot. You owe me this. No. What we have to realize is when we are getting those thoughts of, oh, he didn't do this or they did that. And their commute, you know, what their, their actions are communicating to me, they don't love me. When that, when that starts to happen, what we need to do is realize we're under attack. We are under attack of the enemy and we need to give an answer to that attack and we need to speak to it and say that is not the truth my husband loves me and you are a liar devil get back under my feet i love him and he loves me and this that's ridiculous that you even brought that up you know we have to t- speak to those things cuz what it does is it works on you and you're offended and then you uh, try to ice him out or vice versa, you know, and and you're just on this ridiculous, uh, just little fit-throwing thing that you need to get over yourself because the, the answer is, is we all need to work on ourselves. Stop pointing the finger to your spouse and get busy on yourself. Get your eyes on Jesus and and <coughs> stop looking at all the bad Of your spouse. Because look, we're all imperfect. We're all flawed. We all have issues. But, but, you know, Jesus himself, the Bible says that he entrusted himself. He entrusted himself only to God. He entrusted himself to the Father. And we are not any better. We are his servants and we should be doing the same thing. And trusting ourselves. If my husband is not is not loving me like he should, or if he whatever he is doing, you know what? The Bible says that God is my husband. God is my husband, and He'll take care of me. I don't need to uh, worry about Him per se. I've got enough to worry about with my own self. I got a lot enough work right here. I can stay busy all year. Okay. So let's put the work where the work needs to be done. I can't, I can't change him. So I can pray for him. I can pray for him and let the Holy Ghost work on things. Yep. And let God, I, I give him to God. I give him to God. I give us to God. 
I give myself to God and I release my faith out of my mouth saying, thank you, God, you've heard my prayer and you are working on my behalf, that you're working in ways that I cannot see and you are faithful to us. Because the world believes that good marriage is being with the right person. But God believes that good marriage is in being the right person. So the focus is never the window, it's the mirror. You know, Jesus said that. Why do you seek to remove the speck out of your brother's eye when you've got a big two-by-four out of yours? And so we've got to be introspective and look at ourselves. And every problem that we face, we need to look at what we're doing. What are we doing to instigate the situation and bring the... And there may be times in which you can't find anything. Well, your spouse will let you know that, you know, she'll she'll help you become Sherlock Holmes, you know. So, but the thing about it is, is we've got to look first at ourselves. Because the more we focus on the other person, the more the solution is hidden to us. You see what I'm saying? I remember uh, it was Dodie Osteen, um, you know, John Osteen, who was uh, a great preacher and man of God. And, uh, he's went on to be with the Lord, but uh, they would get in a fight. And uh, she would, you know, after, you know, they had went through what they went through, she, she grabbed a hold of him and began to hug him and says, I'm not letting you go until you forgive me. And that's the attitude that we have to have. She just shared... The secret, the secret is that the enemy wants to bring disunity through offense. And the word offense, scandalon, in the Greek means a trap. So a lot of marriages cannot heal because they are in an environment of offense. And if you're in an environment of offense, there's no way the problem can be fixed because you're in a trap. Instead of saying, I'm offended, say, I'm trapped. That'll change everything. I'm trapped. Because that's exactly what it is. It's a trap to keep you from accessing the answer to the situation. And see, the things that we're talking about here are so contrary to the way the world operates in their version of marriage. Subordination, submission, humility. These are not things that are taught. Saying, I'm sorry, not, you know, always having an axe to grind or some kind of argument to bring forth. There are people that are still arguing about things 25 years in the past. Mm. (laughs) This This is stuff that is unsubmitted to the cross of Christ It's unsubmitted to God, and it will continue to work against the foundation of your marriage. That's what what he desires to do. Because he knows that our prayer life together is far more powerful than our prayer life individually. Amen? So unity is what the enemy is afraid of. That's the reason why he works hard to keep us in disunity. And not all of it is offense. Some of it is scheduling. Some of it is priority. Some of it is 
other things that are in our lives, even children. I like to say, too, that sometimes, sometimes when we're on a journey with God, with our, with our, in our relationship with our spouse, that sometimes we feel uh, rejected by our spouse. And what I've come to realize is that sometimes it's God. Some, not, being, not that God rejects us, but there is a spiritual... The Holy Spirit is at work to help us come to him, come to God, and look to him. See, we're, we, we get in the trap of looking to man, looking to each other to fill needs that only God can take care of. And, and so we need to, to uh, be aware, just be aware of the Holy Spirit's influence in your relationship. Because, uh, case in point, okay, I had, a, I, I had a time where God was teaching me about my pride. And I wanted, you know, we have in our mind how we think our relationship should be. And, and sometimes it's just wrong. Sometimes it's just, I don't know. God want, this is what I mean. God wants us to come to him for the things that we desire because he wants to perform those on our behalf. He wants to help us his way and not our way in the flesh. And so the more we do things in the flesh, the more frustrated we get. But when we come to him and let him by his spirit of grace, uh, release things in us and show us things we're so much more, uh, strengthened and blessed because he gets the glory for it. And that's how it, how it should be, but so he was teaching me, showing me my pride. I would get, uh, you know, I couldn't talk to Greg. There was a season where we couldn't, we couldn't talk like we used to. I could tell he would, be, he'd just be so irritated, and he was on edge, not listening to me. Oh my gosh, how many of you wives? Huh? You're out to eat, and they're looking at their phone. Uh, you know, and you're trying to share your heart. You're just want to pour your guts out. They're they're just could not be bothered. They're in their own little world. Never. Okay. This is an occasion. It's an occasion where I I resist you, devil. I resist you, devil. Because I know I know he loves me. And you're a liar. And you're trying to get me to hate him. But I'm not falling for your trick. Because I see you. I see you and I know what you're doing. And I just go into my prayer closet and I just pray. And I just say, I thank you, God, that you have made him a man of God. You see, do you understand? Now, this, is, this may sound arrogant. But this, this man wouldn't be where he's at without his wife. No. Okay, I'm saying, I'm saying that. You know that's God, right? That's not me. I'm not saying that because of Karen. I'm saying that because God, God brought us both to this place. We know who deserves the glory in this relationship. It wasn't about Greg and Karen. It was about God in Greg and Karen. And we'd have only to yield to him, have only to yield to the spirit of grace on the inside of us. This is what he wants. This is what he wants. And he's trying to get our attention. 
But we're so busy being ugly with one another and think about all the bad and looking at all the bad and ripping each other down and stomping each other. We ain't got time to hear what God has to say about our spouse and about all the things we're going to do together and all the people and families that are going to be affected and blessed just because we got together. <laughs> What? He don't have nothing to say. Well, uh, <laughs> Woo! I, I don't know where to go. I'm, a, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. <laughs> the, the, the thing about it is, is what really causes the disconnect is that men and women are very different in their thinking abilities. Of course, we know that. Um, both are, are made intelligent by God, but have different ways of assimilating, you know, information. And uh, my wife is someone that can, can, can connect dots that I can't see. And uh, she is also a multitasker, which I am not. I'm a compartmentalizer. So I can take information and put it in my boxes and it stays in the box, and it doesn't overlap. It doesn't bleed over. Come on. So if she tells me a certain thing on Thursday, I put it in the box. It's in the box, and it doesn't affect what she tells me on Friday because that's a whole different box. <clears throat> but women, it's just like when they do couponing or something like it's all over the place. It's touching and bleeding over and everything, you know. And so how they feel about this one thing has correlation with this over here. And what happened on Monday has a touch on Thursday. And so it's, it's, it's just really strange to me because she'll say, well, you remember. And I said, we talked about that because I can go back to my box and I can say, okay, here it is. You know, it's got cobwebs in it, you know, yeah, it does. I haven't thought about it at all. But see, that's how we respond differently. So they're, they're more, more emotional thinking where there's a more pragmatic thinking in, in, a, in a husband, okay? It doesn't mean that we're not concerned. Everything she says is, believe me, is a concern to me. That you got to put, you got to put on a strong face, right? Yeah, you got to be the man. Act Believe like me, everything she says affects my life. <laughs> everything, okay? She being does. naughty. <laughs> You're being naughty. I'm just telling you the truth. Come on now, can I get some brothers to say amen? <clears throat> Let's let it on out. Listen, we care. It's just a different way of receiving information and bringing it forth. <clears throat> Men, here's, here's a big problem that I have. is, And I've stopped doing it. And, and, and she'll even get mad at me for stop, do it, stop doing it. Um, is solving her problems. Because that's the initial response that I want to do when she comes to me. But she doesn't want me to solve it. 
And so I learned this principle, and I started doing it, and then I got on to for not... <laughs> Women are a mystery. It's true. It's true. But I can say that she has learned that I'm not totally disengaged from what she's saying. I'm, I'm hearing what she's saying. <laughs> but there were times in which she was not convinced of that because she wants total, absolute eye contact. Total attention. This is, the, what, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to do. Hello, and sometimes that that doesn't always you know happen, you know, and uh, and and vice versa as well. I mean, True. you know, I get excited about something God is telling me, and she's like, "True." That's that's nice, honey. <laughs> Nephilim again. <laughs> That is and so true. I mean, you know, and, and then she'll bring me something, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's, you know, it's exciting to see someone get revelation, but it's theirs. Right. It's theirs. It's their light. <laughs> Not my light. I'm like, okay. Okay. All right. Yes. Yes. But it's because we, we communicate very differently. And, yeah. you know, so <laughs> we, because we can compartmentalize, men are very surface in their communication, and it, they don't go very deep. Women go straight to the depths. <laughs> they speak right to the heart of the matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like the illustration, you know, where God speaks to Isaac, says, don't go to Egypt. Well, he had no idea that's where he was going. He was going there. He was headed that direction. He didn't know it. Our wives have the ability to see where we're going. Their intuition uh, began to speak to those things, and they can say things and know things that we, because there's no one more anointed to be my wife than her. And that if the Holy Spirit's not able to get through this thick skull of mine, He's going to start talking to her. Now, he's not going to talk to your best friend at work, your Facebook buddy, or that ex that you had, you know, in high school. He's going to talk to her. And there's been many times that she'll say something. And she gets frustrated with me because I don't always esteem and value when she gives me information. Like we'll have a situation in which a person has come into my life and, and, and she gets a vibe from them that says, you might want to, you know, evaluate this situation. She doesn't say, don't hang out with them or anything like that. She just says, listen, I don't think this is what you think it is. Oh, you know, I know. Yeah. This then, person is wonderful. We yeah. need to put them on staff. We need to put that. And she's saying, uh, you need to rethink this and stuff. <laughs> And, and then Kevin tells you the same and thing, then Kevin and then you tells say, me and I say, "Ah, man, Kevin, you listen said. to Kevin." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, we know how it works. You know, Kevin had a great idea, and it was the idea she's been telling me for five years. So it, it happens, okay? It happens, okay? And uh, sometimes as men, we don't esteem the voice of our wives like we should and understand that the Holy Spirit is going to primarily speak to the one that is closest that we are covenanted together with. So I should esteem her um, far more than what I have in the past. And I do to this day. There, you know, I esteem her words and I take value, I, I value them and I take them at a very high level, you know, because she's been right. I'm, you know, I hate saying that here with her here, <laughs> but she's been right about majority of certain things in my life. You can say that again if you like. <laughs> I gotta, I'd like to I just... gotta take a drink after that. I <laughs> let that soak. <laughs> Guys, it's just the truth. How many how many have fell victim to the fact that you didn't listen to your wife? Come on, some of you. <laughs> Every man should you didn't listen to your wife. Wow. Uh, and, and she's anointed by the Spirit of God to be a protector. No one cares more about you than her. Yeah. Now, there might be some times you question that, but the truth of the matter is there's no one that, can, that has more at stake for your success or failure than she does. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it, it, it's important to... Now, there's been things that she said, and I, I just flat tell her, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And she's been wrong. Yeah, you know? that's true. <laughs> but when it comes to things that I, I tell you, I have to say that my wife has been right on so many things that it I have to pay careful attention, you know, to what she's saying. Because she doesn't have any other motivation. Your friends have motivations, friend. Your co-workers have motivations. But your wife, the one that you build your life with, you're going to be suspect over her. You're going to be suspicious. You know, you're going to be suspicious over her. and You'll be like the dog, you know, when she talks. And you're going to listen to somebody that has nothing at stake. You see, that's where... Division comes in, and you're not able to function in unity, which undermines your ability. It undermines your prayer life and the ability for the kingdom of God to advance through your family. One of the things kids do this to you. Kids will do. Kids will bring division, and you've got to be able to stand unified. Especially when we've talked. A lot over the last three weeks about blended families. Well, kids from other relationships can come and bring great division by fortifying offense. Mm -hmm. And so you have to realize that, guess what? Kids come and go. But I've got to live with this one. (laughs) See what I'm saying? This is the person I've chose to spend the rest of my life with, not my children. Oh, 
You know, that in this culture, that's a hard word, isn't it? Because we put children above our spouses many times. I don't put my children above Karen. My own boys know this. All four of them. They know that. In fact, one of the greatest compliments they ever gave me was on a card, and they said, you've loved mom no matter what. And that spoke to them. And that's how they brought their love to their wives as well because they saw it exemplified. Listen, I, I, I'm, I'm, she's going to be the priority. But there are a lot of relationships where the spouse isn't the priority. The children are. Even older children. I'm not talking 18. I'm talking 30, 40, 50-year-old kids. And they're putting them as a priority over their spouse. It's wrong. You're wondering why things aren't working in your life. The authority structure's off. Yeah. Amen? Boy, that's a terse word. But it's certainly the truth. Come on now. How many have had issues that, you know, I've got four boys. I love each and every one of them differently. They're all different. <clears throat> And, and they bring different issues into the relationship when they were smaller. They bring different things. And they can also work against and get in there and play games to where you're actually pitted against one another because she sees something or has a certain affinity towards this child and I'm seeing something on the other side. And we've got to become unified in that and realize that both of us are right. But both of us are wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, both of us are right on some things, but both of us are wrong on some things. See, it's that humility in child rearing, instead of saying, it's my way, this is what we're going to do, blah, blah, blah. You're going to bring division and strife in your home. You need to learn to flow together and be fluid instead of being rigid. When it comes to your children, when it comes to situations like that, mm-hmm. because yeah. life is too short. Yeah. And, you know, being quick to repent when we, yeah. we know we've been wrong or um, uh, short with each other or just, you know, flesh out. Being flesh quick out. to That's own right. it and say, I'm sorry. It, it, it provides such a good... Um, atmosphere for us because what it does is is it makes me vulnerable but it helps him when it comes time for him to do it for him to be open with me and to be quick to repent as well again you know what is the opposite of humility pride pride never wants to say it's sorry pride never wants to say it's wrong Mm -hmm. break that off your life one of the greatest things that ever happened to me was I had gotten in an altercation with my son. He was, he was, he had a girl that he liked. This was my oldest son. And he was only about 11. And he had a girl that he liked. Uh, it's 11 or 12. And he wanted to go to the movies with her, go out on a date. I want to go out on a date. Well, I was not ready for that. So I freaked out. I freaked out. And I tried to make him eight all over again. 
How many have ever done that? Just tried to make him eight all over again, tried to bring him back down to the level and, and, and try to intimidate him into getting away from this idea because I thought he was too young to even have that because really what we're trying to do is we're trying to protect. Okay? So my fear of him being hurt caused me to mask it and I'm just protecting you. No, I'm not. I'm trying to feel better about me. <laughs> and so I, you know, I just arm wrestled him, you know, and, and, and into submission. And I, the Lord hit me and convicted me. And I went to my son who was 11, 12 years old. And I said, son, dad's wrong. Now, how many men can testify in here that you've done that and you've seen release in your child's life? Or how many of you would have liked to have heard that from your dad? You, do you realize that a whole lot of healing and a whole lot of wonderful things will open up because of humility? There's husbands that can't even say they're sorry to their wives. There's wives that can't humble themselves and say they're sorry to their husbands. This has to be broken. You want to know how to unlock yourself out of the trap of offense? Say you're sorry. Amen? We were taught before, and I'm going to close with this, but we were taught before we were married is that race each other to say you're sorry. See who can be the first to the finish line. I'm sorry. Have you ever had that had tension, you know, tension in your home and it just feels like you can cut it with a knife and pull it out and put it in your pocket and you take it to work and you take it, you know, and it just permeates your life. And then all of a sudden you get in the car and you just say, you know what, honey, I'm really sorry for the things that I said. Don't you notice that immediately the, the, the whole atmosphere changes? It's a spiritual principle. It will work for your life. Amen? Amen? Stand with me if you would. Amen? Karen and I are going to pray for you. Father, we've talked about some very powerful things. We've talked about some very stern things, very sobering things. So right now, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you, Father God, that we're going to be obedient hearers, not just hearing only, but being doers of this word. I pray for each and every relationship, because this doesn't just affect married relationships. This affects all relationships. So right now, I speak a blessing over every household. I thank you that the word will not return void, but will accomplish what it was sent out to do. And that healing, healing is coming forth into these relationships right now in Jesus' name as we operate in the realm of submission and humility with one another. We submit ourselves to you and we subordinate ourselves within your authority structure within the home and we know that it already has your sanctified blessing upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. God is good. Amen. Did you get anything out of that? Did that help anybody? Amen.
Well, we're excited. We've got people here that are ready to pray with you, ready to uh, minister to your needs. They will be up here as we close the service. Please avail yourself to them. If you have any need whatsoever, if you need to be born again, if you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or if you need just prayer for something that's going on in your life, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Help is here. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you, did, did we have... Uh, Marie, Are you? can you come up here and give us that testimony real quick? I tell you what, God is doing tremendous things. Just stay standing up for just for a minute, and I'm going to close you out. But you've got to hear this. Marie had had a very harrowing report in regards to uh, something that was operating in her life. They were talking about some very life-altering things in her body. But praise God, she stood on the word of faith. She stood on the word of God. And go ahead and tell what happened there. Okay. Um, Back in uh, August, I was having some stomach pain, and I... um... I ended up going to the hospital, and I had to have my gallbladder removed, and, um, sorry, and, uh, they did a CT scan of my abdomen just to check for my gallbladder stuff. Well, they ended up finding tumors on my ovaries, and, um, um, after going to the OB, trying to get everything figured out, they were saying, okay, this is probably cancerous, and, um, they, uh, had me, um, referred to oncology and I was getting ready to go and the lady was like well let's do some blood work just to kind of confirm the diagnosis before we have you come and uh, so they were running all these panels and I had to go back so many times to do all these different cancer panels and all this stuff just to confirm and uh, well last Friday or two Fridays ago I got a call from the OB with the results of the blood work and my blood work came back completely normal no cancerous Hallelujah, uh, cells or anything Lord. like Hallelujah. that so completely praise God completely good hallelujah praise God let's give God a shout of praise hallelujah thank you Lord one of our ministers that is now in Jennings uh, used to come, uh, Zelma Gibson. We played a recording from her doctor's office declaring that a mass that they had been looking at in her body, she said, it is miraculous you do not have cancer. Yes. Amen. Yes. Praise God. The word works. The word works. Amen? Amen. Praise God. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.